Good morning, and a shout out to our friends in the CLC this morning. We are so glad that you all are here. And I am so thankful to be able to share with you today about being torn together in the area of race. This is a topic, a journey that I've been on for the past year and a half. And as a white Southern woman, I am so grateful for my African-American friends who have been on this journey with me. And one of those friends is here with us today, and that's Pastor Michael Cummings from Greater Love International Church. And if you'd help me welcome him to the platform. <laughs> morning. Michael, I'm so glad that you're with us this morning. I'm going to go ahead and, and get us started. Okay. So this journey that I began about a year and a half ago really started uh, as I was beginning my Doctorate of Ministry final project. I felt the Holy Spirit moving in me that I should do a project related to unity in local churches. And after chatting with our senior pastor, Ethan Magnus, we realized that it might be an effective project to focus on racial unity because we were already in conversation with our friend Michael at Greater Love just about how we could maybe partner some ways in serving together. I was very excited about this topic and one of those reasons is because as a child of First Christian Church, I was taught in this very building that God made all people, all races, nationalities, and languages. And so I was taught in this building the same sentiment that Martin Luther King Jr. wrote. An individual has value because that individual has value to God. There is no limitation on the Great Commission. There's no limitation on the Great Commandments. All are loved by God and all can come to know Christ. But believe me, as I began researching this project, I realized how much I did not know, how much I didn't know here, and how much I didn't know here. So I have learned a lot, and there's a couple things in particular that I thought might be helpful to share this morning. One of those things is that I realized that I had very few African-American friends. Acquaintances, yes, but real friends, no. And the 2010 census shares that of only about eight or nine percent of the population in Johnson City is African-American. About 86 percent is Caucasian. And so with that demographic, it, it makes sense that perhaps I wouldn't have that many African-American friends. But I recognized, was I actually intentionally trying to make and build friendships with individuals who are African-American? And if I wasn't, did I have any empathy for the story of an African-American man or woman in the United States? I learned that when African-American individuals talk about a history of racism in the United States, they are not talking about just one thing. They are not talking about just slavery or just the civil rights moment. They are talking about a common thread of racism for 300 years in this country. 
An individual named Lewis, a police officer, an African-American police officer that I met in Cincinnati. Authors, African-American authors like Drew Hart or James Cone, they talk about this history of slavery, lynchings, Jim Crow laws, civil rights movement, policing, and mass incarceration a common thread of 300 years of racism. Soon Chan Ra, a professor, a multi-ethnic church planter and professor, shares that minority, or majority, rather majority culture Americans may consider the history of slavery as an ancillary story to the main American story. Cultural intelligence and sensitivity requires an understanding of racial history. If we are to develop a cultural intelligence that bridges the gap between black and white, an understanding of history that reflects all perspectives is imperative. I was torn apart in the area of race because I had no African-American friends with whom to be torn together. I recognize, too, as a Christian, our nation has been torn apart in the area of race, and so, too, have our churches, and we must be torn together in order to heal. We must have African-American friends with whom to be torn together. The other thing that I wanted to share that, that I've learned um, specifically has to do with language. Language carries weight. Language matters. It matters to the white individuals I'm talking with, and it matters to the African-American individuals that I am talking with. For me, my language reflected that I thought white, that whiteness, being white, was the norm that it was the standard. Now, of course, I never meant that. I never intended to reflect that, but my language reflected that. And that's never what I wanted. Let me uh, share with you a, a situation that came up the other day, an example of this. I happened to be walking through a store, and I passed through uh, the aisle that carried Band-Aids. And um, some packages, I have them with me today, some packages, caught my attention. I thought I've never seen that brand before, so I stepped down to look at them. And I realized that they were, that they were different colors. And I don't know that you can see this from where you're at, but I recognized they were different colors. And I had an epiphany. I realized that when I would go to the store to buy Band-Aids, if I wasn't buying Hello Kitty or Mickey Mouse Band-Aids, and I was buying flesh-colored Band-Aids, I bought the box of flesh-colored Band-Aids, took them home, put them on, they matched my flesh, and I never thought twice about it. Until I saw these Band-Aids. And that's when I realized, flesh is not a color. Flesh, despite what the crayon says, flesh is a body part that comes in different shades of color. And so I called one of my dear African-American friends, and shared with her my experience. And she shared with me, Nikki, that's right, I've never been able to buy a Band-Aid that matches my flesh. And so I realized that for those of us who are white, 
we may unintentionally use language that assumes that our experience is the norm, that it is the standard. And while that Band-Aid may not seem like a big deal, I imagine to my friends who are looking for a flesh-colored Band-Aid to hide an injury or make it not obvious, that flesh-tone matching Band-Aid might be a big deal and it might be important. Another, another story I'd like to share in that same vein regarding language and, and making assumptions about whiteness being the norm. Um, I was having a conversation <laughs> with one of my friends at Greater Love. Uh, Michael knows him, of course, and this gentleman and I were talking about haircuts, and he was sharing that he and his wife drive to Nashville to get their haircut. And so my response was, what kind of budget do you have to allow you to drive to Nashville to get your haircut? Never realizing until later that his journey to Nashville had nothing to do with a big budget. It had to do with the fact that he and his wife needed to go to Nashville to find someone who was trained and qualified to cut African-American hair because I have no concept of this. I walk into any hair salon in Johnson City and they just cut my hair. No big deal. I've never had to look for a salon or barber or anywhere that could cut this hair. They just cut it. And so my experience as a white individual let me communicate in such a way that I did not realize what I was communicating was this impression that whiteness was the norm. And so my language reflected a lack of empathy, a lack of understanding. And so language matters. It matters a lot. And I want to reflect that God loves all people and that I love all people, all races and nationalities and people of all languages. And I want to reflect that I recognize that whiteness is not the norm. I was torn apart because my uninformed words didn't reflect the heart that I have for all people. I needed to learn how to more effectively use language so that I could be torn together with African-American individuals. So this project, this project has affected me deeply and it has caused my words, it has caused my actions to evolve. It has caused what I think and what I do to evolve. I have now had a window into a world where I have been torn apart and I did not even know it. And where I can now keep learning and pursuing building friendships with African-American individuals. Michael, you and your wife Bobby have been so kind and so patient and so gracious and welcoming to me and so have the folks like Zalipa and Kai and Cece and Darielle over at Greater Love International and I I'm so grateful for that, and I'm so thankful that you've been willing to walk on this journey with me and, and help talk with me about things I just don't know. And I know that I would be negligent if I didn't take a moment to say that I can imagine this is not the most comfortable place for you to be on a Sunday morning. I can imagine that as you sit in a room with the demographics of Johnson City, this can't be the most comfortable thing to be an African-American man sitting here sharing about the African-American experience with mostly white people. But I don't know any way other than this, other than trying to build relationship and talking in uncomfortable and maybe even awkward situations, I don't know any way to be torn together than to try to do this. And so 
I am so grateful for you and your um, just willingness to be here. And I want to say too that um, I just, you've taught me so much and you've been gracious. And so I would, I would love it if you'd be willing to share with us maybe what we need to hear, because I can imagine that if I'm not the only individual, maybe I am, but I, but I can imagine I'm not the only individual in this room who maybe realizes they don't have tons of African-American friends, or maybe I'm not the only person that realizes, hey, I could be more intentional with my language. And so, humbly, I just come and ask, could you share with us a little bit about what you think maybe we should hear, all races, all ethnicities, what we should hear about being torn together. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki. Well, prior to getting started, um, being in training and development for 20 years, I find it uh, critical and important that we start off with this thing called ego. And uh, it's very important that we um, put that aside so that we can have a, a productive conversation. Um, so, because if we don't put ego and check it at the door, if you just put an R at the end of ego, what do you have? Igor. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> we'll walk around with our hump on our back, or as Matthew says, you'll be trying to get the speck out of someone else's eye when you have a light pole in your eye. So, my first request is that we all check our egos at the door. This is a very real are very relevant and it's a very difficult topic to discuss. Uh, but first of all, I'd like to say thank you to, to Nikki. Also thanks to Ethan and also to the First Christian family. Thank you for allowing me to be here today. Um, Ethan referenced in his video, I uh, talk, starts talking about Galatians and especially with the topic of Torn Together, uh, teaching us about how we should bear one another's burdens. And uh, my first question is, why in the world should I bear someone else's burden? It's theirs, not mine. Um, and I think it's, uh, it goes in line with your subject in the sermon series is that we're all torn. Every last one of us are broken and every last one of us have issues. Um, and if we stay that way, if we stay torn, we stay broken, we stay burdened with our issues, um, what it will literally do is that we won't be, uh, we won't just stay torn, but the issue is that as a body of Christ, we should literally try to make sure that we stay torn together. Um, because we're going to be broken, uh, for we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. Uh, you know I'm from a church where they say amen. And <laughs> so I always say it would help me finish this point and move along a little faster if you say amen. Um, <laughs> so in essence, uh, when you talk about the body of Christ and us all being torn together, it literally it means that um, if we tear us being torn apart, we highlight what the other member of the body is not. So we make it different, and different to the fact that we want to make it like us. So, uh, and, it, and it causes us to tear ourselves apart. It's like taking your eyeballs and putting them at the bottom of your ankles and taking your feet and putting them in your eye socket. And it's not the proper place for it. But we are many members 
all in one body. I can never do what Nikki does. Um, I can never do what Ethan does, but neither of them can do what I do. And so uh, I can be the best me that I possibly can be as they're being the best them that they possibly can be. Uh, I would only be a second-rate them trying to emulate them, but I can be a first-rate me. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so that's the body torn together. And so uh, we, have to, uh, we, we have no use uh, for the body as a whole if the body cannot all be broken and if it cannot not all be broken together. Scripture today I wanted to reference is 1 Corinthians 11, chapter and the 24th verse. And it says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. This is talking about Jesus. He broke it and said, this represents my body. He broke it. Then he said it represents his body. Which is offered as a sacrifice for you. Do this in affection or affectionate remembrance of me. And this clearly gives us a representation of the body of Christ and that body being broken, torn apart, to show us that there are many torn, there are many broken members, but again, to the point again, there's only one body. Uh, one example I like to utilize is that uh, because this is, because we're all broken, we all have issues, we're all torn. Uh, one example I, I thought about was like, uh, when, you know, when you walk in a room and you flick the light on, and uh, where I grew up at, we had these little, friends that were in our home and uh, you turn the light on uh, when you turn the light on they hid behind the cup and so if you remove the cup the friend would go underneath the plate and uh, when you remove the plate that friend would go in the crack and try to hide in the crack as long as it could and trying to hide behind something well we're in 2018 now and some of you have been around longer than I am alive. And some of us, we're just in this dispensation where we really want this thing to become better. I grew up in a generation that they told us that it was going to get better. I told my sons when they were growing up that this was going to get better. And I look at the world that we live in and the world does not have the answer. We should have the answer. And it's sad for me not growing up in church, but to come in church and to see the world teaching us how we should be torn together. We're operating, I believe, in a level of disobedience because we can't make sense of things. We can't make it fit into our little cup of how we think it should be. And I believe Christ, when I use the scripture, is saying that we should all be broken. There's nothing wrong with being broken. We all need a savior. We all are in need of a savior. So one of the sins, as Nikki segued into, is the fact that uh, sin is simple disobedience to the fact that he tells us to love one another. And when we disobey, we create idolatry. And 1 Samuel backs it up and just lets us know that all forms of disobedience is sin. 
So when we're discussing racism, you got to understand the definition of it. And I'll stop with this point. Is that racism makes an assumption explicitly and implicitly that one human group is better than another one. And it makes itself superior socially, individually, and it makes itself individually valuable. It manifests itself in actions that adversely affects other when if we're going to be a welcoming church, we must first be uncomfortable so that we can intentionally love people so that we can be the church of the last days. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. <clears throat> you, during this journey, um, you had taught me a phrase that has been so helpful to me. Um, it's a phrase, different like me. Uh, it's a phrase that I've really tried to take into my own vocabulary. I know our student pastor, Adam Prophet, he's taken <laughs> it into his vocabulary. One of our admin assistants, he's trying to take it into his vocabulary. Could you share with us about that phrase, different like me, and why it matters if we want to be torn together in the area of race? Sure, no problem. Um, uh, in, in its simplest form is that when you, when I, when I make myself different from you, uh, the word different does not highlight uniqueness. It only highlights what you are over what someone is not. So when you say that you're different, you make yourself better or one better than the other, which is true racism. I have twin boys. They're about to be 26. And I love my sons, not differently, but I love them uniquely because they're both unique. They have different, they're twins, but they're like night and day. Uh, one is like me, BS, which is before salvation. And, <laughs> and the other one is like me, like, you know, he's like, I guess like I would like to be now. I mean, I wanna be like him someday. <laughs> so I, I don't look at them differently. I look at them uniquely. I don't, I don't make one um, I don't like being with this one over like being with that one. They're, they're my sons and I love them uniquely. Okay. Not differently. Different like me. Different like me. Thank Not you. different from me. That's right. Thank <laughs> you so much, Michael. You know, a year and a half into this journey and I'm definitely still, I'm, I'm still learning. And, and like I said, Michael and his wife Bobby and Greater Love folks, they've been so helpful to me and, and other um, African-American friends that I'm making. I am trying to build friendships. I am trying to be intentional with my language. I am trying to recognize that I don't know what I don't know, which is sometimes very frustrating. Um, I'm reading, I'm listening, I'm talking with people that are wiser than me. And, and what I know is that in this journey to be torn together, I do not want to rest in a place of being torn apart. I am so thankful for the example of Paul in scripture, Paul, a, a follower of Christ and a church leader, Paul wanted to be torn together with those who were different like him. He was committed to learning about other cultures. He was committed to studying people. He was committed to seeing the world through the eyes of other individuals. He was committed to being torn together. 
If we are going to be Christians, if we're going to be churches that cross across racial lines, that reach across racial lines, then we will need to listen to other people and we will need to hear their experiences. I want to be torn together with those who are different like me. I want that. And I have so much determined hope that that is possible. There are wonderful things happening across this nation from California to North Carolina to right in Johnson City regarding being torn together in the area of race. It's good ministry, it's good work, and it's happening, and there is hope for us to be torn together in the area of race. African-American pastor and author Tony Evans shares that the crisis that we are now facing as a culture doesn't allow time for theory without practice. It doesn't allow time for words without a plan. It is time to make a difference and not just discuss making a difference. The key is starting where you are, and if everyone does a little, a lot will get done. And so that's what, as we draw this message to a close, that's what Michael and I want to share. We, we have a hope that we can be torn together, that white individuals and African-American individuals can be torn together in the area of race. And so we have a few kind of tangible action steps that we'd love to, to share with you about how to do this. Um, these are just starting points. But one of those is, uh, is to read. Start reading, start listening to podcasts, start following social media. And pay attention to, to the, the sources. Are they all uh, white individual sources? Are you listening? Are you reading? Are you following African-American authors and speakers? Um, if not, try to. Try to, expand, um, try to expand where you're reading and what you're following. I, a good starting point I wanted to mention is the Christian Standard. This is a magazine that we have outside the worship centers. And this month's edition actually has an article in it about an African-American minister named Andrew Hairston. He's 86 at the time of publication, and his life has been dedicated to creating unity amid diversity. So that's a great place to start. There's copies out there. A second tangible step would be that if you're interested in this topic and would love to learn more and maybe get into a little more of the nitty-gritty, on Sunday, October 7th, at First Christian, at 6.30 after our evening service, I'll be sharing my Doctorate of Ministry final presentation here at the church. It's called Determined Hope, Building Racial Unity Among Two Local Churches. And so I'd love for you to come, and if you're looking for those resources like books and magazines and such, I'll have an 11-page bibliography that you're more than welcome to take a copy of. <laughs> so, so those are a couple of places to, to get you started. Not that you want the 11-page bibliography, <laughs> but um, Michael's got a couple tangible steps he'd like to share, too. Uh, yeah, for me, just uh, basically one along the lines of just friendship, you know. Um, make sure that you're interested in relationship with others and, and go beyond just being acquaintances with someone else. Uh, for me, uh, friendship is a little bit different than, oh, I know that person, oh, they're my friends. We use that word really, really loosely because I believe the scripture says that a friend is one that stick it closer than 
than a brother. So a brother is someone that you live with, someone that you are familiar with, you know the ins and outs of their lives. So be very mindful of the word friend when you use the word friend because everyone does not have that same definition for it. If you're going to be a true friend that stick it closer than a brother, you may want to know where I live at. You might want to know what type of food I eat. You might want to know my ins and outs so that you can do like Colossians tells us to do, that you can make allowances for me because when I fall or if I make a mistake, you will do as one of Noah's sons did. You will back in and cover me. You won't just expose me and make me look a particular kind of way. That's a brother. That's a friend. And one of the things that Michael and I have been talking about too, um, another tangible step is, is coming together um, at the communion table. And, and that's what we're gonna do now. We're gonna come together at the, the communion table. And if you're a communion server, now is a wonderful time for you to head back to be prepared to serve communion. Uh, congregation, we'll take communion here in a few moments, but at this moment, Michael and I um, are going to take communion together. We have a, have a great hope that we can come together as God's church, that that vision shared in Revelation of a church coming together, of people of all nations, languages, and tribes coming together to worship God, that that vision can come to fruition. And we believe we have a hope for that. And we see the communion table as a symbol of that, that possibility. Michael, do you, wanna, do you wanna share a little bit about that hope at the communion table and what that does for us? For sure. Um, in the world, it's, um, you know, give people an opportunity to, say for instance, an employee, don't just look at a resume, but invite the person in so you can see the person. And also in church, it's like one of the most sacred times of our time of our service is when we take in the ordinances of the churches when we do communion. Invite everybody to the table. Give everyone a seat at the table. Um, I went to a bed and breakfast in Asheville, and that's one thing about the bed and breakfast is that when you get up in the morning, we all come downstairs from all across the country, and we all eat breakfast together important meals and none of them were looking at what I look like or anything like that. Uh, that's a great example and today we come to the table together. We may have some differences, we may have some uniqueness, maybe quirky, but I'm not different from you, I'm different just like you. Let us pray. Lord, we give you so much thanks that through the table we come together. Yes, God. People of all races, nationalities, and languages. Yes. We give you thanks for the hope, for the vision of a church 
coming together of all nations, races, and languages, of all peoples, coming together to worship you. Lord, we thank you for your son. We thank you for his love. We thank you for the introduction of communion. We thank you for his sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for that love. And we pray, Lord, that as we come together now as a congregation to take communion, Lord, we pray that you would be with us, helping us to be torn together yes. in the area of race. Lord, we love you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.